Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, October 4th, 2020, we continue our series titled The Ideal, a study in Colossians. Today's sermon, The Ideal Truth, will be taught to us by Pastor Jeff Stevens out of Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. Enjoy. Paul gives us a very sobering warning right out the gate. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive. And even though we've come off of this season of learning that, you know, what our former self was, what our new self is in Christ, Paul kind of blurts out this sobering warning that, like, if I read that right, then there is something, right, that can, in fact, take me captive. And so it causes you to back up and pay real close attention to the words that he has. I think all of us have had those moments in time where we just feel like someone violated and maybe even our space. Um, uh, someone who, you know, the, the close talkers of the world, you know those people? But, the, um, you know, where you just have uh, someone coming into your world and into your space and it leaves you feeling a bit violated. If you've ever had a car or a bicycle or anything stolen, right, it just feels like something horrible has happened. And these kind of lures, these kind of temptations happen all throughout our life. In fact, some close friends of Jill and I, they, uh, uh, they had a, uh, one of those events. The event was that they were out of town for a weekend. And on a Sunday evening, they came home. It was a little bit late. Uh, their boys at the time, they had three boys, uh, were really small, you know, kind of down this size. And uh, they got home, and they started dressing the kids in their pajamas and getting them ready for bed. And they throw them uh, into bed, and it was, it was a, a great kind of cute thing because the three boys shared this king-size bed together. And, of course, the proverbial question of every parent when you're putting young children to bed is, did, did you guys all go to the bathroom? And as one of the boys did the free fall from the king-size bed, like a small child jumping off this platform here, um, tumbling to the ground and uh, getting back up and then looking and just this, yeah, you're all going to go home and just hate me for this. But the, but the kid gets up, right, and kind of dusts himself off and says, hey, mom, how come there's a man under the bed? Oh, yeah. Mom, of course, says, oh, don't, don't start with me right now. And she backs up a little bit and glances under the bed from an angle, and she sees a hand. Mother Hen starts grabbing her kids, running down the hallway. Her husband, Michael, Michael, there's a man under the boy's bed. And Michael, of course, is quick to grab the shotgun, right? He's cocking that shotgun as he's passing her going down the hallway, and he's heading towards it. And as he's heading towards it, she's screaming, Michael, don't kill that man. Now, you're the man under the bed, aren't you thinking to yourself, wow, I am in a bad place here. <laughs> Michael's going to, you know, get the shotgun and, you know, clean out underneath the bed without even bending fully over, right? <laughs> but instead, 911 tells his wife, get out of the house, stand in the front driveway, uh, wait for the police. And so the boys and the um, uh, mom and dad, they, they gather out front and they wait for the police. And keep in mind, this is in our old town. It's an agricultural town in Valley Center, North, North County Inland of San Diego, just at the foothills of Palomar Mountain. 
they lived on a 150 acre Haas avocado grove. And so this house is in the middle of the police are long, not, not, not that quick, right? So they finally get there. They go in, they search the house, and the uh, intruder had escaped out the back door, down through the grove, and was gone. It's hard not to know the true intent, right? What is the desire of this intruder? Was he there to rob and they caught him? Was he there to steal food because he was hungry? Was he, was he there for some sort of horrible thing to those boys? Just don't know. You don't know the intent. So it leaves us with this kind of feeling that, that this evil, this, this thing, whatever it be, a person or something, right, is as Genesis 4, 7, God warning Cain and Abel in Genesis 4, 7 when he says that sin is crouching at the door, right? And it says its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. See, today's message is going to force us to have to deal with this thing, this something, this person or whatever it is that lingers and wants to hold you captive, it wants to pull you away. And in fact, desire is at the heart of this. Paul warns us about desire in Romans 1, right? Verse 24, it says, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts, right? That word lust there is the same word for desire. So God literally handed us over. This is the fall of man. We were handed over to our own desires. What a consequence. The fall of man, here's God's consequence. Do it your way. Do it by your desire. James warns us in James 1.14, talks about temptation when the evil one tempts, because God himself cannot be tempted and God himself is not the tempter. But the evil one who tempts, it says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Isn't that crazy? The evil one is going to use your desire to lure and entice you away from God. Remember, Job put it this way when, when God asked him, where have you been? He says, I've been searching the world over for souls to devour. It puts an element of fear in us. But nothing puts a fear in us more than knowing that we are fearful of God. You see, apart from Christ, you have much to fear. If God is not in you, the greatest thing to fear is God himself. It's the wrath of God that we escape. Romans 1 also told us that, that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. We're going to look at this text today and it, it has little to do with Satan and more to do with that which lures you, your desire. But instead of a burglar breaking into your home an intruder. Imagine if you were the one who was actually inviting such a person into your personal space. Someone or something that has desire that is contrary to yours. Something that crouches in the hiding places, in the dark places. This thing that is actually stalking you. It's searching for you. What if it's intent its desire was to lure and entice you, ultimately to manipulate you. 
with something that might seem to be fun or free. But its real motive is in fact to sell you, to traffic you, to make money off of you. What if that was the thing that you were inviting into your life? If you knew this, would you allow it access to you? Would you allow it access to your deepest thoughts? Maybe to your home address. Maybe to your cell phone number. Maybe to your passwords. How about your social security number? How about your children? How about to your most loved belongings? Would you in fact cuddle up with this thing night and day without any accountability? So that it can, in its enticement, it can lure and entice you into such an appetite for it. Such an appetite that it is that equal to that of addiction, to alcohol, to drugs. It, you simply will not be able to escape because you are captivated by it. You are enslaved by it. It's your phone. It's social media. It's all these things of false and fake news dividing our nation. People call it a tool. My hammer is a tool. My hammer is at home sitting in a drawer doing nothing. My phone right now is upset that I turned it off because it was in fact looking for me and trying to lure me back into screen time. Do you think there's an accident that your phone sends you these gracious reminders? It tells you, oh, Josiah's online. Poke him, say hi to him. It's trying to lure you in so that you will be engaged in your phone, so that someone somewhere can sell a three cent ad because you are engaged and captivated by your phone. It's gonna send you fake and false news. It's gonna tell you things that you want to hear because in fact it has a database exclusively written to you. It has produced an algorithm with a 97% probability if I send you this, you'll click on it. It's luring and enticing us. As parents, God help us. Do you realize since 2006, since social media was introduced, the suicide rate of 10 to 14 year old girls has increased by 170%. Do you realize that the very inventor of the like button never fathomed in his wildest imagination that someone would kill themselves because they didn't receive enough likes? It is their desire. And the evil one is luring and using this as a tool, as a weapon to separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. We as parents have to stop throwing to our kids the keys to the liquor cabinet and say, I'm sure you're trustworthy. There must be accountability. There must be a limitation on the access because the appetite for it is growing. 
And before we spend too much time railing on our students and saying, yep, that's what I've been saying to them. Yep, that's what I'm saying. I've been looking at your duck face posts and everything that you're posting on social media as well. And I have to tell you, I am guilty as charged. I blame Brendan Anderson, but that's beside the point. Because <laughs> Brendan Anderson is the one who told me, Jeff, you got to watch this documentary called The Social Dilemma. And as I watch this and these creators of social media expose the damage that's happening, the amount of people that are killing themselves, the polarizing of America, the genocides that are going on in nations, all because fake news is being presented to them with their desire. No sooner did I finish watching this, I picked up my phone like a trained monkey and I went and scrolled through my Facebook. And I realized God is talking to me and he's saying, see to it that no one takes you captive. Guilty. I can't encourage you enough to turn off your notifications on your phone, to look at how much screen time you have and reduce it. Do not be lured and enticed. Do not be sucked into this world that wants to divide you from a loving God. God's text today, Colossians 2.8, says to us, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Brothers and sisters, everyone, students to the elderly, do not be taken captive. It's backwards. If you are in Christ and Christ is in you, point one is do not be taken captive. Don't get lured in by your desire. It's this one imperative, it's this one thing that you're being told to do. See to it that no one, no one, nothing, absolutely nothing takes me captive and pulls me away from the person of Jesus Christ. The philosophy of the day was legalism or license or Gnosticism or asceticism. These were the things that were luring and enticing people away. Those who were saying, no, 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 as a Christian, you, can, you can't eat meat. No, 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 you have to eat vegetables only. No, you can eat vegetables and meat. These Gnostics that were saying, Jesus didn't really say that he's God. Today's philosophy is, it's all about a better quality of life. Today's philosophy is still he who dies with the most toys still dies. This mindset that says, be good and then you'll get good. This idea of karma, it's ridiculous. The you do you society that, well, that's great for you, but I don't believe that way. You've been lured. You've been enticed. You've been pulled away from the very word of God. Or empty deceit. This hollow promise that if I get enough likes or if I get enough people following me, then I will have arrived. It's empty. There's an idea that if I have freedom, if I obey, has become only if I work hard enough to achieve it. God provided manna from heaven for 40 years, every single day. 
people still searching for likes. According to human tradition, yeah, at the time, this was rituals and festivals. Maybe your diet, meat, or vegetables only. Today, it's keeping up with the Joneses. According to the elemental spirits of the world, this is the same thing that it's always been. It's called systemic evil. It's a fallen world. Since the fall of man, the entire structure of the universe is fallen. I'm so glad that 30 days from now, the election and all of this nonsense is over. Amen. I'm tired of being labeled a xenophobe. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> a homophobe. No, I'm a Christian. That's the only label I need. I'm a man who follows the person of Jesus Christ. You can label me, negate me, you can do everything. You can take me out and beat me and put me to death. But for me to live is Christ and to die is just more Christ. The teachings that Paul is talking about here, according to the elemental spirits, right? These evil ones, because evil powers use desire to excite sin in people. Desire is not the problem. It's when the desire becomes your idol. My wife, my desire for my wife is not the problem. The moment I make her higher than the person of Jesus Christ, I got a problem. When I make my children higher than God, I've got a problem. When I make my job more important than God, I've got a problem. When my phone becomes more important than God, I've got a problem. What Paul is soberly wondering to us, warning to us, is that we would hold fast to Jesus Christ. Colossians 2, Paul tells us why. Why should we hold to Christ? He says in verse 9, 9 through 12, he says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. You can't get any plainer there. The fullness of God dwells in Christ because Christ is God. And you, he's telling you, don't miss this. And you have been filled in him. The fullness of God dwells in you. Who is the head of all rule and authority? There ain't nothing above him. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Point two, be filled in him. Be filled in him. Right? This is the same God, Jesus, right? In John 1, 1, says, In the beginning was the Word. That Word was Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You skip down to verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the Word. You've got the Word. Hold it within you. Titus 2, 13 tells us that He, talking about Jesus, is sufficient for life and godliness. Listen to those words. Jesus is sufficient for life, all of life, and all godliness. 
The problem is, is that the philosophy and empty deceit that's according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, right, this systemic evil is explaining why Paul today's pass in this passage refers again to the fullness of deity that dwells in Christ. Because in effect, Paul is contrasting the truth of Jesus with the empty lies of the world. Empty deceit and philosophy, according to human tradition, views Christ as insufficient as the one true God. This is why you can label me a Christian. I'm good with it. Because he's sufficient in all of life and all of godliness. So the next person that you want to argue with on social media, which I'm challenging you to get off of it, is just tell them in Christ alone. In Christ alone. Who's going to get elected? In Christ alone. Who's going to run our nation? Christ alone. I put my hope, my faith, my entire trust, not in a constitution, not in a government, not in a police force, but in the person of Jesus Christ. Will I use that constitution? Will I use that government? Will I call the police? You bet I will. Because God ordained them to be that governing authority in Christ alone. If we've been filled with Christ, right? Verse 10, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And since he is fully God, you have his word. Paul means that all believers have been filled, topped off with the very fullness of the almighty God himself. We've been filled with the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit of God, who gives life to the dead, and He not only gives you life, He gives you the desire and ability to live in spirit and truth, not in the flesh. Do you realize how many people come to me and say, Jeff, your belief system is crazy. It's like you take away the freedom of the will, and the man doesn't have a choice, and the man can't do anything. If that man is void of Christ, he can do nothing. He's dead in his trespasses. He has no ability. He's the robot. Me? I've been set free in Christ and have volition of will and the Holy Spirit in me guiding me to do that which is right and righteous before God. The guy without that has nothing. He or she is a robot. Paul makes this mention of the circumcision here. Now, I am firmly believing that Bob just assigns all the subjects that no one wants to talk about to me. But <laughs> nonetheless, it's in the text. What he's saying here is that in him we also were circumcised. You see, within Jewish tradition, the Abrahamic covenant required that there would be an outward sign and seal of the covenant of God. Circumcision, this, uh, this process that was done by the rabbis, uh, was done on the eighth day of a son being born, signifying the sign and the seal of the covenant. We see it in Ephesians 2.11 where Paul says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, basically saying you were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. So the, the Jewish tradition was a custom of human hands. 
But the custom of what God's talking about here is a custom by the Holy Spirit. Romans 2, 29 says, but a Jew is one inwardly. In other words, by birth, they receive the sign and seal of the covenant in circumcision. But in circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not the letter, right? So not the law, but it is something that happens. His praise is not from man, but from God, right? So the physical sign and symbol is now because of the Gentiles being grafted in, is now a spiritual matter of the heart. So here's what he's saying. He's saying by his atoning, right, his payment of our debt. The closest word we get to this in the New Testament is the word propitiation, which simply means to satisfy wrath. And so the wrath of God has been satisfied and has set us free, body and soul, from eternal condemnation and gained for us God's grace. Listen to this. God's grace, righteousness, and eternal life. It's not that you've just been set free from your sin. It's that you have been, in fact, set free by God's grace, given His righteousness and His eternal life. I feel a little bit like that Billy Mays Hayes or whatever in the Sham Wow commercials, but there's more. The further blessings that we experience in this life and beyond, the privilege of knowing that our debt has been paid is also that there are advantages. In total, our bondage to sin, our slavery to sin has ended. It has not only ended, right? Uh, but it is also understanding that knowing that our debt has been paid in full and our total bondage has been set free so that evil desires of the flesh may no longer master us. Remember what God said to Cain and Abel? Sin's crouching at the door, its desires are contrary to you, but you must master it. It's not sin you must master, it's your desire that you have to master. And what he's saying here is that you've been set free so that the evil desires of the flesh may no longer master us. I remember this time, it goes to R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul was going to be a keynote speaker at a college. And he was running a little bit late coming in as a keynote speaker. And he was running out of the campus. And there was a guy handing out flyers for people to come see R.C. Sproul speak. And the kid's handing out flyers, and he doesn't recognize that this is our scroll. This is the keynote speaker. And he stops him and he says, sir, this flyer, are you saved? And Sproul says to him, from what? He says, I mean, from, from sin. He says, no, son, not from sin, not from Satan, from God. Do you realize that you're saved by God? by being saved from God. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. You see, apart from Christ, you can do nothing. If you stand before holy God, don't forget he's a consuming fire. This is not a God that you wanna go before his throne room without the payment of Jesus nailed to that cross. He is greatly feared in awe and reverence. He's not your homeboy. He's not this person that you're trying to walk through life with in some petty relationship. He is holy God. He is a consuming fire. And you must have the imputations of Christ's righteousness upon you. For you will not be able to stand in his presence. 
This is a powerful God. Paul is emphasizing this point in our union to Christ with his death and his resurrection. He says we were buried with Jesus in baptism. Baptism is not baptism as a mere washing of water, but the true spiritual baptism that is accomplished when through faith alone we renounce sin and trust in Christ alone. When God imputed our sin to Jesus. The rabbi, the high priest at Yom Kippur used to take and symbolically lay his hands upon the goat and transfer the sins of ignorance upon the goat and then cast the goat into outer darkness, removing the sin from our presence. It's the term scapegoat comes from it. Jesus Christ is your scapegoat. Your sin has been laid upon his back. He took the wrath that was due unto you and to me upon himself. You realize when Jesus said, if there's any other way but your will be done, he was holding the wrath cup and he was saying, if there's any other way, I'll take the beating, I'll take the mocking, I'll take the spitting, I'll take the, the crucifixion, I'll take the death, but please, if there's any other way to avoid the wrath of God, but your will be done. This he took upon himself. For the first time in all creation, God the Father and God the Son were separated, for the wrath of God was poured out upon his Son so that you and I would not ever have to taste that. It's incredible what he's done. He set us free. Galatians 5.1 says, for freedom, this is the reason, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't be captive. Don't go back to the yoke of slavery. Be set free in the person of Jesus Christ. Point three, he set you free. Amen. He sets you free. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says, you were dead in your trespasses. Not mortally wounded, not really, really, really sick. Dead. You were dead in your trespasses. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Not just the high priest laying his hands upon the back of a goat and the sins of ignorance, but the sins of willful disobedience too. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us. What Paul is saying is that the record of that debt that stood against it and all the legal demands that we would face the wrath of God has been nailed to that cross. He paid it all. He paid it all. The Apostle Paul is speaking of the debt that all children of Adam, that's you and me, owe as a debt. Because of our having failed to obey God perfectly, all of us must pay for our sin through the wrath of God. But instead, the Father has shown an unfathomable love in allowing another person, His Son, Jesus, to satisfy the debt for his people. In turn, we were taken out of the state of death in which we were, slaves to our sinful nature, and brought to life 
set free to love and obey him. If you're in Christ and Christ is in you, then your debt has been paid in full. God no longer regards anyone who is in Christ guilty of not paying our debt because he satisfied the wrath. For Jesus satisfies the payment for us and we are free from trying to do it ourselves. You don't have to earn your way into the kingdom of heaven. If he set his affection upon you and you have believed and followed him and you've shown the fruit of perseverance, then you are in fact saved. Our fourth and final point, because his victory is our victory. He says in Colossians 2.15 that he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Listen to this, in him. Christ himself had his faith and his trust in him. Jesus is literally, our money says in God we trust. Jesus is saying, in me I trust. What rulers, what authorities is he talking about here? Ephesians 6, verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in all the heavenly places. Picture a courtroom scene where God the Father is the judge, Satan himself is the plaintiff, pointing out all of your sins to God. And Jesus is your lawyer. Satan makes a charge, Jesus objects due to the fact that he paid for that sin too. Not only for your past sin, not only for your present sin, but your future grace in sin as well. The Father then declares you not guilty. If you want to see this in real life in, in Scripture, right, this courtroom, uh, write down Zechariah 3, verses 1 through 4. You can see the real court case played out there. But see, what Paul has here is a paradox. A paradox is something that doesn't look to be true, but really is true. I'm going to invite the band back up. We're going to sing the song, Death Was Arrested. And in it, it says, Our Savior displayed on a criminal's cross. Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. That seems to be true. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. That's when death was arrested and my life began. We've been set free. The systemic evil of this world has been disarmed, but is still present. It has not been eliminated. Evil is ultimately mortally wounded. And we need not fear evil because we share in Jesus' victory and his life. like the burglar that was under the bed that escaped. It's only his plan, whatever that plan was, that was disarmed. He's still out there and he desires you. And he comes in different ways, so subtle, by appealing and luring you by your desire. 
But don't go back. Don't let them. Stop inviting them in. How do I not be taken captive? Bob's going to go into this in the weeks to come. In Colossians 3.2, it basically says to set your mind above, to be heavenly focused. But Paul's been telling us all throughout this text how we are to not be lured into disobedience. Verse 6, he says, walk in him. Verse 7, he says, be built up in him. Verse 9, in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Verse 10, filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Verse 11, in him also you were circumcised. Verse 12, you were buried with him in baptism. Verse 12, raised with him through faith. Verse 13, you were made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses. And 15 says, by triumphing over them in him, even Christ put his faith there. The only question you should be asking yourself today is, are the things that I'm engaged with, from my phone to my family, to my work, to my school, are they drawing me closer to Christ or are they pulling me away? Are they drawing me closer to Christ or are they pulling me away? Maybe for some of you, you can contrast your screen time with your so on social media with your screen time in the Bible. When you pull that phone up and you see that you average three to ten hours a day of screen time, brother or sister, repent and go the other direction. But the ideal truth is this. The fullness of Christ dwells in those that are in him. And for those that are in him, there is therefore now no condemnation because Jesus won. Let me say that again, because Jesus won. He's not winning, he's already won. Because death was defeated, right? And Jesus had that mic dropping moment, that incredible moment on the cross. It is finished. Yeah. Boom, yeah. just like that. Jesus won, and you, brothers and sisters, if your faith is in him, have been set free, and free indeed. Amen. Our Father and our God, Lord, we thank you for your truth, your word, your son who has set us free. I pray now that we could sing loud and proud and put our hope and trust in you and in you alone. Help us to search our souls for those things that drag us away from you and to not be held captive. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Are you free? That's the message, right? We don't have to go back. Let's light the boats on fire because we're going forward in Jesus Christ, right? We don't need that stuff. I would encourage you in the days and weeks to come, right? I just, I've had the last two weeks where I said upon myself, I'm going to reduce screen time by 20%. And then I did it. And then the next week, I did it again. You don't need these things. Frankly, you don't need the news. You just need God's word. Let's be set free from the world and be different than the world and put our entire affection upon the person of Jesus Christ and show people the beauty of our Savior. Our Father and our God, Lord, I love these people and I love what you're doing in our hearts. I pray for those who don't yet know you that they would boldly come forward and say, I need to know this God. And Lord, for those who do know you, I pray that they would not be taken captive, but to be set free in the person of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I love you guys. We'll see you next week.